Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Hey, clones. Welcome back to the Daily Jungle. Great to have you here. We had a crazy day of sports to get through. A day that was supposed to be about Connor and Floyd arriving in Vegas, but got turned upside down with that monster trade that sent Kyrie Irving to Boston and brought Isaiah Thomas back to Cleveland. And if that wasn't enough, news out of the UFC John Jones failed his drug test before UFC 214. I'll get into what that means for Jones, the sport, and where they go from here. On top of that, three excellent guests as well. Wyoming quarterback Josh Allen, who could be the number one overall pick in the upcoming draft. Arizona Cardinals DB Tyron Matthew, healthy and ready to dominate again. And Rockies pitcher and cancer survivor Chad Bettis back on the mound and in the thick of the wild card race. JK, in for Alvy. Go ahead and do what Alvy does and roll it. <laughs> Yesterday was supposed to be about Connor and Floyd making their official arrival. But that was overshadowed by the report that the Cavaliers and Celtics were talking about a Kyrie for Isaiah trade. The two best teams in the East trading all-star guards. No way something that crazy would go down, right? But then it did. And then it was promptly blown right out of the water by John Jones failing a drug test again. We were notified by the United States Anti-Doping Agency late this afternoon of a potential anti-doping violation. Uh, John Jones in a sample that was collected uh, July 28th. So uh, the day before UFC 214, my understanding was a sample was collected in the hours after the weigh-in. So that would put him in an in-competition period um, under the program. That was UFC's VP of Athlete Health and Performance, Jeff Nowitzki. So it was all about that trade. And then suddenly Kyrie in Celtic Green was like the field in the 73 Belmont and the John Jones flaming train wreck was Secretariat, pulling away from everybody else. I mean, there are so many different places to start with John Jones. But why don't we start with the initial report from TMZ that he tested positive for the anabolic steroid Terinabol as part of a drug test that was administered after the weigh-in. That's right. The John Jones, who failed a PED last July and was suspended for it, failed another one this July. The same John Jones who was saying right before the fight that, quote, there will be no excuse for me winning, but my hard work, my heart, my faith, and my belief. I am so excited that USADA is full intact, end quote. The same John Jones who tweeted on July 21st, Daniel says the only reason I defeated him for the first time is because I must have been on steroids. Wonder what his excuse will be this time. The same Jones, who couldn't wait to tell everybody he was clean, was allegedly dirty as hell, as he said and tweeted all of that. And then came the statements, of course. There was the UFC statement. It read in part that USADA, the independent administrator of the UFC anti-doping policy, will handle the results, management, and appropriate adjudication of this case involving Jones as it relates to the UFC anti-doping policy and future UFC participation. Under the UFC anti-doping policy, there is a full and fair legal process that is afforded to all athletes before any sanctions are imposed. End quote. Let me translate that for you. He's most likely lost his light heavyweight belt, 
but locked down the title of biggest fraud ever. Greatest talent MMA has ever seen and the biggest bust it has ever seen. Cocaine, hit and run, tested positive for a banned substance last year, tested positive for a banned substance again this year. So what's that about? Was he cheating all along? Or did he just not have the confidence that he could beat Cormier without taking anabolic steroids? Allegedly, reportedly, probably, almost certainly. Why would you give this guy the benefit of the doubt, Ali? I mean, whatever happened to the GOAT? Whatever happened to the GOAT? The guy who Uriah Faber lost, the Michael Jordan of MMA, the guy who was on his way to meditate before his first bout and stopped a robbery in process. Remember that? Chased down the robber, restrained him until the police arrived. This is that same guy. Remember when that guy did that. And then he won the title that night. The guy with the Nike deal, the crazy skills. He had so much it. So much it. He was full of it. All right? And now he's done. Probably and most likely. Dana White was speechless when the news came out. Dana said, quote, I don't even know what to say. And I always know what to say. Yeah, well, Jones and his camp had something to say. They always do. They dropped this statement. Quote, we are all at a complete loss for words right now. John, his trainers, his nutritionists, and his entire camp have worked tirelessly and meticulously the past 12 months to avoid this exact situation. We are having the samples tested again to determine the validity or source of contamination. John is crushed by this news, and we're doing whatever we can as a team to support him. You know, I tweeted this last night, and I want to repeat it here. John Jones has a hell of a lot of problems for a guy who has never done anything wrong. Ask him. I mean, this has got to be, right, the most unlucky guy ever. The unluckiest guy ever. Bleep just keeps falling right from the sky, eh, John? Listen, he is entitled to a full and fair process to hear this all out. But to hear him tell it, he is just the unluckiest guy ever. Accidentally failing not one, but two drug tests? I mean, there's bad luck, and then there's John Jones luck. But according to Dana White, this might be the very last that we see of Jones. If this ends up and he gets, uh, you know, and it ends up, you know, getting two or three, it might be the end of his career. So to talk about his legacy, I mean, it's probably the end of his career. I mean, how old is John now, 30? 30. Yeah, 33, 34, trying to make a comeback again. And you, and you look at what could have been and what he could have done, and sad. Right, so listen to Dana White, point being, 33-34, what's that sound like? It sounds like, because he's a repeat offender, he could be looking at two years or three years or four years. I know this, it's more than one year. They already hit him for one year. And then Dana, speaking of Dana, when we spoke back in November at the Sirius XM Town Hall, he told me he was not sure that he could trust John to headline a card once again until he consistently gets back on track. I would never take the risk of headlining a show with John Jones again. I'd put him on the card, but I wouldn't headline with him until he consistently gets back on track. Um, you know, millions of dollars are spent on this. And for a card to fall apart, you know, how many cards have fallen apart because John Jones, you know, gets in trouble for something? So, no, I, I'm not at that place with him. Yeah, well, something tells me this failed drug test, if that's what that is, is not going to help that. It happened again. So to bottom line this thing and to tie this thing up, this dude has turned self-destruction into a cottage industry. He's cornered the market on destroying himself. 
Think of a way to implode, and Jones has done it. Criminal behavior, check. Recreational drug use and partying, check. PEDs, check. The old rap was that the only person who could beat John Jones was John Jones. And at this point, John Jones has taken a flamethrower to John Jones. He's absolutely destroyed him and destroyed what could have been the greatest MMA career ever. Instead, we're left to wonder how much of it, if any of it, was real. That, to me, is key. How much of that was real? Because as good as he was, and as athletic as he is, and he might have been the best ever, can you honestly tell me how much of that was clean? How much of that was real? I've got no idea, and neither do you. This is a guy who used to talk about his legacy and how he wanted to go down as the best ever. Well, you are now, John. You are the greatest. The greatest bust ever. Hope you're proud of yourself. That couldn't be any more disappointing, yet not surprising. Clones, can I talk to you for one moment about Stamps.com? Stamps.com saves you time and money, which you can use to grow your business. I can mail any letter, any package, using just my computer and printer, and the mailman picks it right up. I can avoid the hassle of the post office and mail everything from postcards to envelopes to packages, domestic or international. Stamps.com makes it so easy. They'll send you a digital scale, automatically calculates exact postage. Stamps.com. We will help you decide the very best class of mail based on your needs. There is no need to lease an expensive postage meter. Don't do that. I use Stamps.com because I'm never going to the post office again, ever. And right now, you too can enjoy the Stamps.com service with a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale without long-term commitments. Go to Stamps.com. Click on the microphone at the very top of the homepage. Type in Rome. Stamps.com. Enter Rome. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office ever again. Stamps.com. Now, back to our daily jungle. Let's go back to that trade for a minute. So Cleveland sends Kyrie Irving to their biggest Eastern Conference rival, the Celtics, in exchange for Isaiah Thomas, Jay Crowder, highly touted big man, Ante Zizic, and Brooklyn's 2018 unprotected first-round pick. It is rare to see two All-Stars at the same position get traded for each other, let alone in conference and between the top two teams in that conference. And yet somehow that's how it went down. Somehow. And this to me is one of the biggest surprises. Somehow Danny Ainge finally pulled the trigger on a deal that involved those legendary Nets picks. And after not going for an elite forward, Boston ends up with a star point guard. Very difficult day. And at the same time, you know, a, a very exciting time for one of the best offensive players in the league. Um, an NBA champion, an Olympic champion, um, an all-star, and uh, with some of his best years ahead of him. Acquiring a, a 25-year-old um, perennial all-star, um, a player that you know, fits a timeline for us and is a, is a fantastic offensive player. He's one of the best offensive players in the league. You have to pay a heavy price. And he did. And that's what blows me away about that trade. I mean, I got to admit, I've been pretty critical of Danny Ainge for not making moves, for not getting it done, for stockpiling all these assets and then not making the deal. I have been critical of him of that. So I'm shocked. I mean, this guy guards those assets like nobody's business. And look what he just gave up. I mean, he gave up a hell of a lot. Cleveland did very well in that deal. He gave up a lot to get Kyrie Irving. 
And when you give up all that he gave up, including that draft pick, which might have been as good an asset as any, it tells you how much he thinks of Kyrie Irving. Not only how much he thinks of Kyrie Irving, but the fact that he thinks he's going to be there for a while. So they get younger at the position that Thomas played. They probably were not that excited about re-signing Thomas to a max deal anyway, something that Thomas is on record as saying that he thinks he deserves. And they got Kyrie. And they get to turn Kyrie loose with Gordon Hayward under Brad Stevens, which to me is fascinating. I mean, what a 24 hours for Kyrie. First, there's the eclipse, which is kind of a hard concept for flat earth truthers to wrap their minds around if he really is a flat earth truther. Then he finds out he's going to the Celtics. And if I were him, I'd be pretty pumped about that. Number one, he gets away from LeBron, which seemed to be a major priority for him. Number two, he's playing for Brad Stevens, which would be a major priority for anybody. Third, he gets a really nice chance to see LeBron in the conference finals and then settle some scores. And if you look at the group that Ainge has assembled, I mean, he definitely has revamped that entire team, but look at what he has. Kyrie, Hayward, Al Horford, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. There is some serious potential for both the short term and the long term. You know, in Ainge we trust. A Celtic fan, Josh Allen. Josh, it's so good to have you on. How are you, Josh? Doing good. How are you doing today? Good, Josh. Great to speak with you. Now, we're about a week away from the start of the season, but if you could, take me back to this time last year. You were coming back from an injury where you broke your collarbone in seven places, getting ready to be a full-time starter at Wyoming. Now you're on the Manning Award watch list. There's a ton of hype about you. How different then is life for you now than it was last August? You know, I mean, the expectations are a lot higher, and I think we're doing a good job of kind of handling those expectations. But, you know, going back to last year, there was a lot of unknown with our team. You know, coming off a two and ten season, you know, we really weren't expected to to do all that great. We were ranked in every uh, preseason poll last, um, so we, we definitely use that as fuel. So, I mean, looking at what we've got this season, we got two non-conference games that are you know high-profile teams in Iowa and Oregon, and. We're very excited to get to September 2nd and show the world that we're a legit team. Now, I think your journey is really amazing. And to fully appreciate the journey, you really have to go back a little further. You're from Firebaugh, California, which is a town of roughly 7,500 people, 40 miles west of Fresno. What was life like in Firebaugh growing up? You know, it's a small town, so everybody knows everybody. Uh, you grow up with the same kids you go to high school and play baseball, basketball, and football with. So... Um, it was a lot of fun. You know, I wouldn't trade it for the world. You got to, to make some really lifelong friends. Um, but, I mean, there wasn't much to do out there. And any time we wanted to do something fun, we'd always travel into Fresno. But, you know, I lived in the middle of, you know, a 2,000-acre farm. My dad, he's a farmer. So got to do some cool stuff out there as well. Glad you mentioned your dad. We're talking to Josh Allen. I'm glad you mentioned your dad. Your father, Joel, your brother, Todd, are third-generation farmers and ranchers, which means getting up before the sun and working until dark. So what did you learn from them in terms of hard work and the importance of having a strong work ethic? I mean, it, it was key to, you know, kind of how I am today. You know, I try to model myself after my dad. He's the greatest and most selfless man I've ever known. Uh, you know, he does everything in with his family and his mind, and that's to me, is just unreal how, how hard he works and, um, you know, the sacrifices that he's made for, for us and our family. So, um, you know, just being able to see him go throughout the day and work in 24, I mean, not 24-7, but, you know, kind of uh, working from sunrise to sunset and coming home and making sure that, you know, we had everything that we needed. 
Josh Allen joining us. Now, you played high school football there, but the truth is that's not exactly a hotbed of football. So as you were getting to your junior and senior year of high school, what kind of interest were you getting from college programs? You know, I really wasn't getting any. Um, I talked to a few Fresno State coaches, you know, here and there, went to a camp there, and uh, but nothing really ever came in. You know, my junior year, I didn't have, obviously didn't have any offers, um, no D1, AA, D2, whatever the case may be. My senior year, I was a little bigger, but I was still kind of undersized weight-wise. I was 6'3", 180 pounds, um, and still nothing came in. So, you know, it was very difficult, and, you know, football's been a passion of mine uh, as long as I can remember. So, I stuck with it, went to the junior college route, uh, ended up with one offer from Wyoming, and, you know, jumped at the chance. Yeah, there's more to it than that, though, because you end up going to Reedley, and at that point, you're playing there, and you're playing pretty well, but then... After you take over as a starter there, you throw for 25 touchdowns and only four picks, and your offensive coordinator predicted that FBS schools would be all over you after that, but even that didn't happen. So then you took matters into your own hands. You sent out more than 1,000 emails to every head coach, offensive coordinator, D coordinator, and position coach that you could find. And let me do this, Josh. The email read, quote, Hello, Coach. My name is Josh Allen. I'm a quarterback at Reedley JC out of California. I stand 6'5", 210. I'm a full qualifier. I feel like I would be a great fit in your offensive scheme. Please have a look at my huddle. Please get back to me at any convenience. Thank you. So you send that out. What kind of response did you get from the email? You know, I didn't really get a lot of responses. Um, and a lot of coaches kind of see these emails and don't go through them too often. You know, it's me and couple other buddies on the team you know we, we were desperate to, to get out and to find a division one program as soon as possible so we can start working our way into a starting role wherever we ended up um but i mean didn't get many or you know many messages back or replies um but i mean i ended up at wyoming and you know i think it's turned out for the best i mean josh you're putting up huge numbers and believe me i'll get to that part about wyoming but you're putting up huge numbers and you think the coaches will be falling all over themselves to track you down, and it didn't happen. At any point, did you ever think, you know what, maybe it's just not meant to be? Maybe football is not going to be my life path? You know, I, I was very determined to find a Division One program, and I told myself if I didn't have any offers, I'd you know, eventually walk on to a Division One program somewhere. Um, you know, it, football is all I've ever wanted to do since, like I said, for as long as I can remember, and never pictured myself doing anything but playing quarterback and you know um it was very frustrating at times when coaches weren't getting back to me and you know I saw myself on film and I'm saying like this like this is some pretty good stuff in my opinion um might have been a little biased but um you know it was tough and you know whether it was uh thinking about choosing baseball um my junior college wanted me to play baseball there as well I maybe thought about doing that but you know in my my heart I was a football player and then Wyoming comes along Wyoming takes an interest and your father said that Craig Bull the head coach said quote look me straight in the eye and said we went all around the country there's only one quarterback we want and that's your son he's going to be the face of our program end quote so after working as hard as you did to try to get people's attention for as long as you did what did it mean to finally have that level of support and a buy-in from your head coach it was awesome and, you know, within being within a week of being offered, I, I committed and signed, and, you know, I was ready to, to get my bags and stuff out to University of Wyoming. Um, to have the head coach come out and say those words was, was a surreal moment. You know, all the stuff that I had been through in high school and junior college, having zero offers, and finally having someone, you know, take the chance on you. Um, you know, I, I owe a lot to, you know, Coach Vegan and Coach Bull, and, you know, 
I'm trying to help turn around a program here and, you know, having a great staff um, as we do here at the University of Wyoming, it's, it's been great having those two. So, Josh, before I let you go, there's more to this story. Then in 2015, your first season there, you're number two on the depth chart, but the starter goes down in the first game. You start the second game against Eastern Michigan. You lead an 84-yard TD drive. Then on the second series, you were moving again, but at the end of a 24-yard run, you're hit by a defender. You suffer that collarbone injury in seven places. After working as hard as you did to get that FBS gig, what was it like to have your season end that quickly? Yeah, it, it was devastating. And after that, I had surgery three days later. I didn't come out of my room for probably two and a half, three weeks. And um, Coach Bowl called me in and said, you might want to start going to meetings. And you know, that's what I did and listened to him and got some mental reps. And I was able to transform my, my body, really, and be able to retrain my shoulder muscles. So my arm got a little stronger from that. You know, And I kind of look back now and say that was probably the best thing to happen to me is having my collarbone uh, broken because I was able to really develop as a quarterback and as a football player get the trust of the players here before I um, ultimately stepped into the starting gig. And that's it. You bounce back. You bounce back. You throw for more than 3,000 yards, 28 touchdowns. You help lead a team that had been 2-10 in 2015 to the Mountain West title game and a trip to the Poinsettia Bowl. As you look back on last season, what kind of memories do you have? I mean, some of the most amazing memories of my life. Um, Got to storm the field twice. Our fans were awesome last year. It was super cold. Um, being able to look around and seeing all the fans celebrate as we did and seeing all the smiles on our players' faces just, you know, the most unforgettable moment of my of my life. And then, you know, taking down a 13th-ranked uh, Boise State, something Wyoming's never done, um, beating Boise. So being a part of the special team that kind of, you know, set the, the foundation for this program, is it's truly special. All right, so when you have a season like that, do you feel like, all right, I proved everybody who was not interested wrong I'm good I made my point or is there still a chip on your shoulder and does that still motivate you no definitely still a chip on my shoulder and last year was kind of a a season to show everybody why they missed out on me and you know I played angry last year and now I know this year you know it's going to take a lot more of me you know making the right decisions and uh, putting our team in the best situation possible to win games so it's it's more about now becoming a quarterback and not just a passer and a playmaker, um, you know, being creative with my ball placement and, you know, keeping the ball in our hands and, you know, controlling the time of possession. So I've, I've really looked at it as a different perspective this season, and I'm extremely excited to show everybody this year. And then finally, Josh, you could have entered the draft last season, and you were very close to doing so reportedly to the point that you even told your family and friends that you were going to turn pro, but then you changed your mind. What was the process like and what brought you back for another year? I mean, we have two, two, two and a half weeks to make a decision on whether to, to declare or come back to school. So, I mean, I had multiple agents come out to my house and talk to me. Coach Bull came out and talked to me and my family as well. Um, got a lot of information from a lot of different people. And ultimately, my mindset was come back for another year, you know, see more defenses, because when I get to the NFL, you know, it, it's going to be there next year. It's going to be there the year after that. But when I do make that jump, you know, uh, being as ready as possible to play right away because I, you know, want to play 15-plus uh, years in the NFL. And I know that going too early, you know, you can be out in four years. So, you know, doing everything possible to to mentally be ready. Um, so like I said, when I do make that leap to the NFL, the transition is as seamless as possible. All right, so I'll finally ask you this. Now that you've been talked about as a potential first pick, first pick overall next year's draft, for somebody who was overlooked coming out of high school and who could not get any attention at all, 
What is all of this like now? I mean, is it a little bit surreal, or is there a part of you that feels like, yeah, it's about time you all noticed? It's, it's kind of a mix in between those two things you just said. Um, it, it's definitely hectic. It's crazy. And like I said, there's a lot of expectations. But, you know, being a guy who's always been underlooked, I, I love the pressure. I love pressure situations and um, anything that I can do, you know, to help this university, like I said, with, with all the media stuff is cool. But, you know, being a, as competitive as I am, I, I definitely think I'm one of the top quarterbacks in the nation. And, yeah, I, I do think it's about time that people start recognizing my name and uh, seeing me as one of the top guys in the nation. But um, I'm more focused, you know, on winning games for University of Wyoming. Tyron Matthew is my guest. Tyron, good to have you back. How are you? Hey, Jim, how you doing? I'm good, doing good, well. bud. How about you? How are things? I'm doing great, man. Uh, just taking my time. Um, you know, it's been a long camp, so we get to break in a couple of days. So, uh, excited about that, man. All right, good. I'm glad. I'm glad you can spend a little bit of time with us, too, before you do it. So, against Chicago on Saturday, you had the two tackles, including one for a loss, and then you had that pick of Mike Glennon in the red zone. You took it back 52 yards. Can you take me through the play? What did you see, and then how did it feel to get the ball back in your hands? Yeah, uh, well, you know, I just got a simple out route, um, you know, by Kendall Wright uh, from the Bears, and, um, you know, I was just able to really get a good break on it and, um, you know, uh, just get my eyes on the football. And, uh, you know, once I got my eyes on it, uh, you know, obviously uh, just trying to catch it and pull it in. And um, so it just felt good to, to get a break like that, a real good, clean break, and obviously get my hands on the ball and, you know, uh, get some get some positive yards after, the, after I got the interception. After that pick, linebacker Marcus Golden said, quote, he's a beast. He's back. He's been doing it in practice since camp started, so we already knew what he could do. He's just back to being himself. End quote. You've had a really good camp. Your teammates are noticing it. So when you pick off a pass the way you did against Chicago, is there that feeling that this is what I do and I'm back to being my old self again? Yeah, you know, it's just a confidence builder. Um, you know, uh, each and every time you take the field, you know, you're going to have opportunities to make plays. And, um, you know, you really just have to capitalize on them. So uh, that's all I try to do, uh, capitalize on it, uh, just kind of continue to build that confidence, uh, which I thought I've been doing, you know, throughout the entire training camp and, you know, even in a few preseason games thus far. So uh, we got a big one this week with Atlanta. I'm sure I'll get a lot of work. Uh, they got a really talented offense. So uh, uh, it'll be another game where I can go out there and, uh, you know, continue to add to, to my confidence. Tyron Matthew joining us. Now, last season you played free safety, of course, and that meant that you were in the middle of the field. All the action was taking place in front of you as opposed to being able to blitz a lot and play some man-to-man. You said initially that you didn't really like that position. Initially, what was it about it that you didn't like? Well, I never really played it. Uh, you know, I was so used to playing nickelback and, you know, obviously, you know, being the, uh, the third or fourth linebacker. So I was able to, to really be in a mix of things and, you know, playing in a slot, which is, you know, really popular for offenses uh, nowadays. You know, 80% of the time guys will line up, you know, uh, in three receiver sets. So I got a, got a lot of work in the run game. I got a lot of work in coverage. Uh, and then playing safety, I never really did it because I was – because, like I said, 80% of the, the game plan is usually, uh, you know, me covering the slot. So uh, I just try to challenge myself um, to really play the position, learn the position better. Um, and I think I've been doing a great job with that. You know, in the offseason, that's exactly what you did. You worked on your craft. You came into camp, and now it sounds like you enjoy playing free safety a lot more. What was it that changed? I mean, was it a better familiarity with the position? What do you like about it now? Well, I think, you know, suffering my last ACL injury, um, you know, you just want to really be grateful that I can even just go out there and play. You know, I think a lot of guys don't recover 
uh, you know, from two major uh, knee injuries. So, uh, you know, I just try to take all the negative thoughts out of my mind um, and really just enjoy playing whatever position, you know, my coach wants me to play. Um, and I think that kind of helped me um, just be patient, you know, at, at learning the position, you know, free safety. That helps everything, isn't it? I mean, no matter no matter where you are, no matter how badly you want it, if you're not healthy, if your body can't do what your mind's telling it to do, it doesn't really matter. You're talking about the ACL that ended your 2015 season. So where are you right now from a health standpoint? Do you feel like you're all the way back to being yourself physically? Yeah, I feel like I'm I'm definitely back to, uh, you know, being myself physically. Um, so, uh uh, you know, I just got to continue to build on that. Like I said, you know, having two major knee injuries, uh, you know, kind of pokes at your confidence. It, you know, pokes at your swagger. Um, but uh, I feel like I've been uh, recovering from, from all those things pretty well. So I'm really excited about this year. All right, so let's be real. When you're healthy, is there anybody in that league who can do what you can do? No, no, I don't think so. Um, obviously, uh, it's a lot of great guys in this league that could, um, you know, do a, do a lot of different things. But uh, I think when I'm healthy, you know, I'm probably the most versatile player in the league, um, and I probably do the most for my team, you know, it's just as far as just game plan. So, uh, uh, like I said, I'm really excited about this year, Jim. Uh, I'm healthy. I'm feeling great. Uh, I'm in a great place mentally and, and physically, obviously, but also spiritually and emotionally. So uh, it'll be a great year for me. Tyron Matthew joining us. Before I let you go, after Anquan Bolden announced his retirement, you tweeted a pic of you wrestling him to the ground when he was with the 49ers, and the caption read, this picture describes me and Q going against each other, tough, physical, no plays off, future Hall of Famer, legends never die, 81. So what was it like to go up against Q? It was physical, you know. Um, you know, obviously, I grew I grew up watching this guy, and you know, he, you know, he's like one of those mean receivers, you know, kind of like, you know, Heinz Ward, and you know, some of those guys from back in the day. So, um, uh, and then when Coach tells you, you know, you have to cover this guy, I'm like, well, the highlights I've seen of people covering him, they didn't work out too well for the guys covering him. So, um, you know, I kind of had to put in my mind that. You know, this guy's going to be tough. He's probably not going to like me for 60 minutes, but, you know, the heck with it. But uh, it was always great battling him. Um, you know, he always brought out the best in me. And, um, you know, like I said, uh, you know, he was really tough as a player. Yeah, I love that. He was like one of those mean receivers. Man, he was tough. He he was tough even as the media guy. Like, just he was one of those guys that you knew if you were not prepared to do the interview, he'd let you know that too. Now, who right. are some of the other receivers that you get excited to face who that when you see them on the schedule, you know it's going to be a great challenge? Yeah, uh, guys like guys like Julio Jones. Um, anytime he's on the schedule, um, Doug Baldwin, uh, who's ultra competitive as well. Um, I think those two guys. Anytime those guys, and I, I actually get a chance to play against Doug twice a year, so um, I always get excited playing against him because I know he's going to get targets, and you know uh, he loves to block. Uh, so uh, I always get excited for guys like that who are really just ultra competitors. Tyron, you had your heart of Badger camp earlier this off season. I want to know, what's it like to be around kids who are excited to be playing and know that they're looking up to you and that you can be a role model to them? It's great, man. It's a great feeling. You know, uh, I remember about, you know, five or six years ago, um, I don't think a lot of people thought I had that opportunity, you know. So to have that opportunity now, man, to, to really just impact kids and, you know, put on camps, not only in Arizona, but back in my hometown in New Orleans, and uh, just try to inspire these kids through through what I do for a living uh, and my platform. And um, it's always great to be around them. They're always full of en- energy. Um, and I just try to give those guys some, some motivation and encouraging that, encouragement that, you know, no matter what we go through, it's always going to be adversity. Um, but at the end of the day, I think we all have to have the heart of a badger. 
Good for you. You're playing the Rams in London this season. Last month you went to England as part of the buildup for that game. Not everybody likes that trip. What was that trip like for you, and are you looking forward to playing there? Yeah, well, I actually got I got a chance to go over there and represent the Cardinals um, in July, and um, it's a great trip. I mean, the people are great. Um, they know a lot about football, um, so they're very uh, interested in and excited about it. So uh, uh, I think that helps ease the pain. Now, the flight is going to be pretty long, especially coming from Arizona to the West Coast. But uh, I think our team adjusts well. We'll probably spend a week out there before the game, um, so so we'll we'll be okay. Dude, listen, about that flight, I mean, you're a well-conditioned athlete. You're a young guy, Tyron. I made a flight from Italy back here maybe three weeks ago or so. Dude, I'm not right still. I'm still not right. <laughs> Is there something about that jet lag, and how do you deal with the jet lag? What's the approach and strategy for dealing with that flight? Well, I think the, the most important thing is to, you know, to stay hydrated, um, and obviously just sleep a lot. Um, I think if we just sleep a lot, you know, a lot of times we take those long trips. We want to watch as many movies as possible. Um, but if we could just hydrate, drink water, um, and, and sleep right, uh, I think we'll be ready to go. All right, you've been great with your time. So i got one bonus question. You've been wearing some custom cleats lately. I've got to admit, they're pretty sick. Now, you know the old saying, if you look good, you'll play good. Yeah. How much do you enjoy playing and rocking the custom cleats? Do they feel a little fresher and does it make a difference on the field? Um, you know, personally, it doesn't really make a difference, uh, not to me at least. Uh, you know, uh, even going back uh, a couple years, uh, you know, a lot of guys wore custom cleats, but I never really was a fan of it. Uh, the only reason I did it was because uh, a lot of my fans wanted me to, you know, put Savage Season on my cleats and whatnot. So, uh, uh, you know, so uh, I usually listen to my fans. We are joined by Rockies pitcher Chad Bettis. Chad, it's so good to have you back. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Chad, I'm doing great, and it's good to hear your voice. We've got a few things to cover, so if you don't mind, let's go back a little bit, because you and I spoke back in January, and at that time you had had surgery in the offseason, and in December you were told that you were cancer-free, but in spring you had a routine checkup, and during that your oncologist detected inflamed lymph nodes and ordered a biopsy. At that time, what was it like to hear that news from your oncologist? Um... A little frightening, you know. It, it was it was really uh, very interesting, actually, because the fact that the cancer wasn't detected in my blood, and we didn't really understand why necessarily my lymph nodes were growing. So that's kind of why we ordered the biopsy to try and figure out what was going on and and everything with that. And so when we when we ordered the biopsy and the, the results came back that it was malignant cells, the same the same cancer cells that were in my testis, uh, we kind of had to act pretty fast. So that's exactly what you did. And then you find out that you have to begin chemotherapy. So in that sense, Chad, you go from believing that you're cancer-free, you're getting ready for the season, and then suddenly you have to prepare for chemo. What was that like for you and your family to receive that news, and how did you approach it? Um, initially, uh, it, it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't too big of a shock. You know, it, we, we kind of were under the impression that we might have to go through the chemo or radiation therapy um, initially after surgery, but then to find out that, you know, we we're actually going to have to go through it. Um, I, th I felt like we were a little bit more prepared at, at that point in time than if we would have had to go through the chemotherapy right after surgery. Um, and then, so, so to find out that, that we're going to have to go through the chemo, you know, initially how I approached it was like, holy crap, nine weeks is, that's a really long time. You know, that's a, that's a long time. What does that look like? How am I going to recover? am I going to be able to recover and play baseball again this year? Um, and then, you know, I, it, we kind of broke it down in, in the mind frame of, you know, we're not going to look at it necessarily as a nine weeks long, but it's just going to be 21 days of treatment, total treatment. And so um, 
And, you know, after those first couple of days, I'm already in the teens. And I'm like, oh, okay, 19 more days of treatment. You know, that doesn't necessarily sound as bad as nine weeks long. Chad Pettis joining us. You know, so you're very meticulous in the way you go about that. And then back in March, when the news comes out, manager Bud Black talked about the courage and the grace that you showed in dealing with this and how many players gravitate towards you because of that strength. What's your reaction when you hear that? Um, very humbling. You know, I think uh, I think it speaks highly not only of our organization, but, you know, the the the, the our teammates and friends that I have on, on this team. You know, I feel like... Um, you know, it speaks volumes. Chad, I'm curious, was there any point where you were thinking or asking, why me? Why me? And maybe not responding with the kind of courage and grace we're talking about? Um, you know, I felt like maybe uh, I think that all happened at first when um, I was initially diagnosed back in November. You know, it was kind of like, wow, this is really unfortunate. And I didn't see any of this coming, but then it quickly transitioned to how fast can I get this cancer out of me? What does that look like? And, you know, how fast can I get back to helping us win? Chad Pettis joining me, Colorado Rockies pitcher. Then there was a point in April when you go to the team, you visit the team and they were playing in Arizona. You walk into the clubhouse and guys were asking you how you were feeling and how your newborn daughter was doing. What kind of a lift did that give you to be around the fellas once again? Huge. I think it was therapeutical for me, honestly. You know, I think a lot of guys say, oh, you know, it was great to see me and stuff. But I feel like, you know, for me, it was being back with my second family, essentially. You know, we're around these guys so much that it, it, I really consider these guys my family. And, you know, to, to be asked uh, how, how my wife is doing, how, how our newborn daughter was doing is was it, it was nice because it took all it kind of took all the pressure off of me and how I was doing, you know, and and I felt like. It was just good to be hanging out and, and one of the guys again. All right, so that's your second family. What about your first family? You and your wife had a baby girl right in the middle of this whole thing. So how has yep. fatherhood been treating you? And then how much did that change your perspective on everything? Oh, vastly. You know, I mean, it, it's changed me, and and I it's, it's hard to explain. You know, and I feel like, you know, it was such a blessing. Not only that, but I think the, at the point in time she came and when she came, uh, you know, it really was, was very uplifting. And, uh, you know, I, I think perspective has completely changed on, on not only baseball, but life. Chad Bettis joining us. You know, you mentioned at the very top that when you first heard this, the thinking was, wow, nine weeks. What's that look like? What's that feel like? Can I play baseball this year? Will there be enough time? And then last Monday, you make your first major league start since the diagnosis. It's a day that you had been working towards for a very long time. So when you woke up that morning, what were the types of things going through your mind, and what kind of emotions did you have? Oh man, it was it was it was great. Uh, you know, I, I really wanted to try and not vision what that day was going to look like until that day happened, and I felt like it was unbelievable. You know, I woke up that morning, and it wasn't necessarily of of all the bad things. You know, of of being diagnosed with cancer, having to go through the chemo, but more so with the, the overwhelming amount of support that I've gotten, not only from my family, but my teammates, my friends and fans throughout baseball, other, uh, opposing players and teammates, you know, it's, it, it was, it was unbelievable. And I, I feel like I, I woke up and until I got to the field, I felt like there were countless times where I was trying to hold back tears 
and and trying to bottle and soak that emotion in. So, Chad, what happened in the game? Like, once the game starts and you're out there, is it just business as usual? Or maybe were the first few innings not quite like that and did you have to work your way into it somehow? What was it like initially? You know, initially it, it, it wasn't – it was not business as usual by any means. I felt like, you know, I was trying to grasp what was actually going on and the energy that was in that stadium that night, it was, it was unbelievable. You know, before I let you go, you mentioned the support you've been getting. Jason Mott was a teammate of yours in Colorado. He's with Atlanta now, and he invited a number of kids with cancer to the game where you made your return because he wanted them to see you as a role model. What did that mean to you, and how good was it to see him again and those kids? Oh, man, it was it was unbelievable. I think to see to, for, for everything that he's done for me and my family, uh, you know, is nothing short of spectacular. I think – uh, he stood up for me. He fought for me. And, you know, he was always in my corner fighting uh, essentially this battle with me as well. And so to see him again, it, it was fantastic. You know, I think, and, and not only to see him, but his wife and kid and kids and, and to see the, those, those, those kids going through the cancer and, and, and some battling much harder stuff than I had to battle and, and to see how strong they were was fantastic. I think, I think, uh, you know, it goes a lot to say about not only, you know, kids and, and, and where they're at at that point in time in their lives of, of having to battle through something like that serious and, and to come out and show me support was fantastic. Chad, bet is my guess. So a final thought then. It's got to be so amazing to be back. And then you had another start, another very good start. So now you're in a place where you can actually think about things like mechanics and opposing hitters instead of your recovery process. And not only are you back in the majors, but you're doing it on a team that's battling for a spot in the postseason, and you've got a fresh arm. The team has been through some rough seasons since you've been there. So what's it like to come to the stadium every day knowing that you were part of a playoff push? Oh, it's, it's unbelievable. I think, you know, this was our expectation from the, from the get-go out of spring training. You know, we're, we're expected to win. We're expected to be in playoffs, and that's kind of the accountability we're holding each other to right now. And to be able to come to the ballpark every day and, and know that we've got a job to do and, and, and win and get us into the playoffs is awesome. Clones, thank you for listening. And here is another reminder. Stay on the lookout for the brand new Jim Rome podcast. It drops next week on iTunes, Google, and anywhere else that you can download podcasts. Until then, do exactly what you do. Hit subscribe, tell a friend, and trust the podcast. Check back tomorrow for more Daily Jungle.